Welcome to Lead On, the program where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and it's my privilege and responsibility each week to talk with you about the practical side of ministry leadership. On this program, we try to take on the issues that are a part of day-to-day leadership of churches, ministry organizations, mission enterprises, those kinds of things. And if you're a pastor or an executive leader, an elder, a deacon, a program director, this program is for you. Now today I want to talk about an issue that can undermine leaders at every level. If you don't have a handle on this, if you don't understand what to do about it, if you don't manage this particular issue well, it will not only undermine you in the short run, but it might cost you your leadership opportunity in the long run. I want to talk with you today about handling your anger in the context of ministry leadership. Handling your anger. You know, every one of us has a story or two about when anger got the best of us, and I certainly do. I remember a few years ago at the seminary where I work, I was in a meeting, and some things were being said and some attitudes were being uh, exhibited that were really frustrating to me. And as the emotional pressure built in the meeting, I finally erupted in anger. And I said some things I wished I hadn't said, and I said it with an attitude I wish I hadn't demonstrated, and it was a really ugly and difficult moment. Now, I made right by apologizing and restoring the relationships, and over the next few days, cleaning up the mess that my angry outburst had created. But nevertheless, in that moment, I did not handle my anger well. I lost control of my temper, let it get the best of me, said some things I regretted, demonstrated some attitudes that were unseemly at best and destructive at worst. That's just one story. I could tell you several others about times when anger overwhelmed me. I'll bet the same thing is true for you. You have probably had moments Moments in a staff meeting, moments in an elders meeting, moments in a Bible study class, uh, moments of frustration when you just boiled over with anger and in the moment damaged your leadership credibility, did some harm to your organization, wounded the people that you work with. Man, as I'm talking right now on on this show, my mind's eye is replaying several different incidents in my leadership past. Uh, None of which I'm proud of, all of which are embarrassing, but nevertheless are true examples of when anger got the best of me. So today on the program, I want to talk about this issue of managing your anger in a leadership context. And I want to do that by asking and answering a series of questions that will help us stay focused on the issue at hand. First question is this, where does anger come from? Now, Without going into an in-depth psychological analysis, let me see if I can summarize it for you in just one sentence. Anger comes from threat or perceived threat. When you feel threatened, you react with anger. Now, let me give you some illustrations and some areas of application to help you know what I'm talking about. First of all, it's possible to feel threat or perceived threat to your physical self. You're driving down the freeway, as I was a few days ago, and you start to change lanes, and suddenly someone swerves over in your lane, and you have to jerk the wheel, and you yell out something at that driver who almost caused you to wreck. 
You don't know this person. You didn't even see their face. You don't know their intent. But because they threatened your physical self, you could have had a wreck and been seriously injured. You lash out with angry words or angry gestures. It can also be a little more personal than that. A few years ago, I was actually standing in an airport when someone started edging their way over to me, and I could tell they were trying to get closer to me, and quite frankly, they they looked a little sketchy, Uh, you know, dressed in sort of a way that was provocative and looked kind of like gang attire and maybe some gang colors, and I thought, what is this? And as they were edging over toward me and getting closer and closer and then got into my space, if you know what I mean, My heart rate went up a little bit, and I'm kind of getting a little tense, like, what's going on here? Then the person lowered their sunglasses and smiled and called my name. It was a well-known person that I had worked with in the past, and when I say well-known, I mean really well-known, and they were actually traveling in a kind of a disguise so they could travel on uh, on a public flight. But the fact that they looked threatening and they were edging over toward me and they got in my space... My heart rate was going up. I was starting to feel a little anxiety, moving toward a little bit of anger. Like, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this to me? And man, was I relieved when I saw who it really was. Okay, this is one kind of threat or perceived threat. It's a threat to your physical self. It's when someone swerves into your lane or someone walks up to you on the street that seems a bit threatening, you can react with anger. But another kind of self that is threatened is what I'll call your social self. That's a threat or a perceived threat to your relationships or to how you see yourself in those relationships. Like, for example, if your spouse disrespects you or, or, or devalues what you do. I once worked with a man who was a sports writer. He had been one for a number of years, and he had achieved some pretty significant success in that field, written for some major newspapers, and at the time I knew him was assigned to be the beat writer for a major professional sports team. His wife always made fun of him. And said things to him like, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to start writing, stop writing about games and writing about something that matters? Ultimately, uh, her devaluing and disrespecting of him just bred in him a resentment and a bitterness and finally an anger that exploded in so many different ways toward her. And ultimately, they, they got a divorce. Why? Because of disrespect and devaluing a person and who they are and what they do, a threat to their social self. This can happen when you're embarrassed at work, like by your boss, or it can also be when someone leaves you, like resigns from their role or leaves your organization and you feel like that you've somehow been wounded by that. So anger comes from threat or perceived threat to your physical self or your social self, or here's another one, to your extended self. For many years, I coached children's uh, sports or youth sports. Coached a lot of different teams with my kids and had a lot of different other kids on those teams. And not often, but occasionally, I would have a parent react to something I did toward their child with real anger. You're not letting my child play enough. You're not treating my child fairly. You're not giving them the opportunity they deserve. We paid to be on this team. We should be able to have some say in how the decisions are made. Whoa, we're talking about a nine-year-old here. But why was this parent so angry? Because that their child was their extended self. It was part of who they are and how they saw themselves and what they valued. And so if their child wasn't getting what they thought, the parent got angry, not the child. This also happens when 
your extended self is represented by your property being damaged. Like I remember once I was trying to get grass to grow in my front yard because I wanted to look better in front of my neighbors. And I had some issues in my soil and other things. And this grass wasn't growing very well. And I was really struggling with it. And I was feeling you know, angry about that because I wanted my yard to look good. So it'd be as good as all my neighbors and my neighbors would like me and respect me. And one day a little girl, her name was Larissa, was walking across my newly planted yard leaving footprints where there was trying to be grass growing. And I thundered out of, I rushed out of my, uh, onto my porch and I thundered at her, get off my lawn. And she started crying and ran off my yard and ran up the street toward her home. And I felt pretty good about myself. And I turned around and my wife said, I thought we were growing children, not grass. Well, that got my attention. And I realized that I had gotten angry because of a threat or a perceived threat to my extended self. Now, that lawn really didn't represent anything supposedly consequential, but it kind of did because the lawn represented my value in the neighborhood, my esteem, and my uh, wanting to look good in front of my neighbors, my my desire to be liked by everyone, and you get the idea. So anger comes from threats to our physical, our social, our extended selves. When you feel threatened or when you are threatened, you will react with anger. Now, you can see how this applies pretty easily in a leadership context. If you're threatened physically or socially or relationally or in your extended self, if you're threatened in your ministry leadership role, for example, You might lose your position. You might lose your income. You might lose people who leave because of a decision that you've made. Uh, You might lose sleep because of the anxiety that comes with decision-making that you have to go through in your organization. As you feel these threats are perceived threats, that frustration, that bitterness, that boiling up inside of you starts to gather and build momentum and build steam, and then finally it erupts out of you in anger and destructive things happen. So the first thing we need to understand today is where does anger come from? It comes from threat or perceived threat, and it comes when we are threatened or perceive that we are threatened in our physical, our social, our relational, our extended selves. Now, before I talk about solving this problem in leadership context, let's ask another question, and that is, is anger always wrong. In other words, when you're feeling threatened and you react with anger, is that always wrong? And the answer is no. And I'll give you two ways that we know the answer is no. First, Jesus got angry. So if Jesus, the only sinless man who ever lived in the history of the world, if Jesus got angry, then anger must not always be a sin, and it must not always be wrong. Here's some examples. One time in John chapter 2, Jesus got angry with some people who were desecrating the temple. You remember the story. It says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold uh, sold doves, he said, 
Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Wow. Jesus got angry. Another time he got angry with the Pharisees. In Mark chapter 3, the Bible says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if they if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or do evil? To save life or kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and, deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And it was completely restored. Jesus looked around them in anger. He was angry with the Pharisees. Uh, Again, not a sinful decision or an action by Jesus, but just an honest one. And then one time Jesus even got angry with his disciples. In Mark chapter 10, the Bible says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hand on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, these are three examples where Jesus got angry. He got angry in the temple. He got angry with the Pharisees. He even got angry with his disciples. And so this illustrates for us one of the reasons that we know that anger is not always sinful and it's not always wrong. Sometimes when we feel threatened or perceive that we're being threatened, when something really valuable or really important or really eternally consequential is at stake, just like Jesus, we respond with anger, motivating us to take action, to solve problems, or to address issues of real consequence. Then another way that uh, we know that anger is not always wrong is that Paul, when he wrote about anger, told us how to be angry, but not to sin. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul wrote, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Notice he didn't say, don't be angry. He said, in your anger, don't sin. And then he gave some qualifiers about how to do that. He said, first of all, don't let the sun go down on your anger, or don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Paul is saying, don't hold on to your anger. Do something about it. Take action appropriately. Get it resolved. You know, this is one of the most destructive aspects of anger, and that is when we bury it, when when it uh, stays deep down within us, and when it begins to do internal damage, and then finally, over a period of time, builds up to such a place that it explodes in a way that really is destructive. It explodes with a violent outburst, with a profanity-laced tirade. It it, it pours out of us in ways that are really harmful. So Paul says, don't let that happen. Solve your anger today. Don't let the sun go down on it. Fix it before the evening is past. Don't Don't stew in it. And then Paul goes on and says, and don't give the devil a foothold. In other words, don't give the devil an opportunity to allow your anger to cause you to do something destructive. So let's review so far. What causes anger? It's threat or perceived threat. When you feel threatened in who you really are, 
When you feel threatened in your physical self, your your social self, or your relational self, you feel threatened in your extended self, when you are the people, are the things, are the relationships, are the positions, are the work in your life that really matters to you feels threatened, or you even or is threatened, then you will react with anger. And sometimes that can be a good thing. Jesus models for us that it can be good. And Paul tells us how anger can be controlled and channeled so that it is positive. But I know what you're already thinking. That's hard. Man, is it hard. You're thinking about times when you've lashed out in anger or that you've lost your temper or that you've let anger consume you and you realize this is really tough. Which then begs the question, can anger be controlled? Well, the answer to that is clearly yes. But the Bible says it is as hard as capturing a city. I love that illustration. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. It is better to have self-control than to capture a city, and it's harder to keep self-control than to conquer a city. Man, if you have really struggled with anger like I have, you know the truth of this proverb. It sometimes feels like it would be easier to go out and capture a city than it is to control the anger that wells up you know, within us. So, easier to capture a city than to control our anger. But the proverb says it can be done. We can capture a city. We can control our anger and capture that city of all that goes on within us in that regard. Well, let's move on to the last. What are some steps that you can take to help you control your anger? We know where it comes from. We know sometimes it's all right. We know most of the time it's not. And we have to learn how to manage it, how to take control of it, how to overcome it. We know how hard that will be, harder than capturing a city, but we have to do it. So here are two steps, a little explanation and illustration for each one to help you control your anger. Number one, lower your threat threshold. Lower your threat threshold. Now, we're familiar with these ratings of threats in our world. You know, we've got the DEFCON 1 and DEFCON 2 that really terror, uh, or terrify us about nuclear threat that exists in our world. We, we're familiar with that. But a lot of us who live in the western United States are also familiar with uh, fire rankings. You know, you, you pull into a park or a national park or, and you see a sign, what's today's fire risk? And it'll be green on one side and bright red on the other. And you know, the more it is toward the red, the more careful you have to be because the threat level is higher for fire that day. And then we all have been acquainted with uh, uh, this threat level rating with things like uh, uh, the COVID pandemic, where we have these different tiers, particularly in California, where I live, we have these different tiers and colors that tell us how high the threat level is in the culture right now from COVID. So we're all familiar with what it means to have threat levels. We know that there are high threats levels and there are low threat levels and and in our culture and in our parks and uh, even in our international relations, we want to back down the threat level in order to reduce the potential for disaster. So I'm challenging you to do the same thing. Lower your threat threshold. Lower what threatens you. Now, how do you do that? Well, the best way 
is to develop security in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You know, there's a doctrine that's called the security of the believer. And what that doctrine teaches is that every one of us who has a relationship to God through Jesus Christ is ultimately secure in him. He has hold of us. He has a protective covering around us. We belong to him and we are eternally and uh, and and uh, temporar- or temporarily and eternally secure in him, meaning we are secure right now and we are secure forever. So the most important thing that I can teach you today about lowering your threat threshold is to help you to raise your awareness of your security in Jesus Christ so that no matter what comes at you, you know you're secure in him. So if someone threatens your physical self, you can say, if I live or die, yeah, I'll still gain, because even if you take my life away, I go to heaven. So whether I'm threatened by cancer or threatened by accident or threatened by someone who's going to assault me, yes, anger rises up within me as I'm facing these physical threats. But then I remember, my physical self is protected eternally. I will overcome eventually, even the physical threats. Then social or relational threats. People come at you and they criticize you. They they uh, they separate from you. They attack you. Uh, they leave your organization and you feel empty and bitter and frustrated and then anger. Well, wait a second now. The ultimate relationship we have with God is through Jesus Christ. And in that relationship with him, we have real security. He will never leave us or forsake us, the Bible says. So we have eternal security in Jesus. And so when I am threatened relationally, I lean into that relationship I have with God through Jesus, and I say, no matter what anyone tries to take away from me, I know no one can threaten this most important relationship, which gives me my real security and the real definition of who I am. And then, uh, what about your extended self or the relationships you have with others or with others' uh, things? Well, This, again, goes back to your relationship to God through Jesus, and that is you look at your children and you look at your possessions and you look at what's around you that is an extension of who you are, and you realize that those things are just a false representation of who you really are and of the value that you really have in your own relationship with God. And so none of these things define you and none of these things can threaten you because they don't really typify, they don't really define or even typify who you are in your relationship with God. Man, you know, this is the solution to lowering your threat threshold. It's raising the awareness you have of your security in Jesus Christ and the relationship you have to God through him. You are eternally secure. You have a perpetual relationship that cannot be violated, and you are defined by that relationship alone and not all the other things or other connections that you have to stuff or people in this life. And as you are able to meditate on that, mull mull it over, and let it settle down into your soul, your your threat threshold comes down, your security level goes up, and your anger dissipates. And then second, Lower your threat threshold is one way you can control your anger, but the second way is to let anger motivate you to take effective action on real problems. Rather than exploding in anger, follow the example of Jesus and allow anger to focus you on addressing real issues, to focus you on dealing with real problems, and to help you to set aside things that are not that important and lack value and focus your attention on things that are really important and do have 
value. If anger can focus your attention on what you can control, on what really matters, on eternally consequential decisions and actions, then anger can be a positive force in your life as a leader. Handling your anger, managing it as a leader, it's crucial to avoid disastrous pitfalls that undermine you on a day-to-day basis and ultimately can cost you your ministry opportunity, your leadership responsibility. Manage anger well. You do it as a part of your responsibility, as a part of modeling what it means to lead on.